It's time for some overlooked stocks. George Tillis has found three movers that you definitely missed. There's no chance that you caught these movers. That's how obscure they are. Maybe not a few of them, George. All right, maybe not one of them. Let's start with IC, Iveric Bio. And this is has to do with our eyes. Great ticker, by the way. Yeah, so a very interesting company, interesting situation actually in this case, uh, OJ, I'll explain in a sec, but uh, yeah, this is a biotech company. It's in the clinical stage, phase three trial for, uh, for medicines that help uh, deal with uh, options and therapeutic options for retinal diseases, particularly age-related macular degeneration, which actually affects about a million people in the United States. I didn't know this. Uh, uh, every, single, every single year, uh, at the very least, as uh, people get older. But uh, the total addressable market for this kind of drug, if it does get to FDA approval, uh, is about $9 billion a year, with about a $1 billion uh, expected that this company Invera could actually gain in terms of market share. But uh, what was interesting is is that you're seeing a whole slew of uh, analysts which are jumping on board this stock. And it was really unusual when I looked at it. If you take a look at uh, some of the movements, uh, Stiefel actually uh, initiated coverage with a tar $20 price target. You've got Webbush. They actually increased their, their target on the stock to 21 from 16. They actually maintained their outperform rating. And Cowan was actually coming out of nowhere and they uh, uh, increased their price target to 25 from 15. And what was the, uh, the catalyst for the stock, which was up about 60% at one point today, was actually uh, uh, has to do with their, one, of their, one of their competitors. One of their competitors called Apellus Pharma. These two competitors now, Apellus and, and, uh, and Varic, were actually in phase three trials. And uh, it happened to be that in this case, Apellus, the main competitor, came out with some mixed results in their phase three clinical trials and with their weakness there uh, there came strength for for Inveric, which actually didn't report any changes in its phase three clinical studies in fact it's clinical studies for phase three uh, which again is this the the, the uh, last step before the uh, the fda approval process is not expected until actually june of 2022 so it was kind of surprising to see uh, hmm. that today's movement in uh, ic happens to be based upon uh, the weakness in one of its main competitors. So this is a, being viewed right now as some kind of zero-sum game by the market um, that's, yeah. uh, right, one's loss is the other's gain. You know, is that a dangerous way to try and chase trades, George, doing something because a competitor didn't have success? I mean, seems a little bit, uh, seems a little risky. It is, and I think it's a good point to bring up, and I think it's a good uh, good sort of rule of thumb to take away from it as well. Just because your main competitor showed some weakness doesn't necessarily mean that uh, all is well for uh, for another company or the other main competitor. There's actually a couple of smaller competitors out there. I didn't actually list those in our chart. But overall, you know, assuming that every uh, person, one million of those Americans who suffers from this disease, goes in and actually gets medicine to treat macular degeneration, assuming one of these uh, companies, Apellus or Inveric, actually get FDA approval, the total addressable market's about $9 billion. And so the assumptions that Cowan has actually brought forth is, is that Inveric could, could potentially get about a billion dollars of that annual $9 billion in, uh, in total addressable market uh, uh, in terms of revenue. But again, you have to also consider risks because there are some, and, and to point them out, I had trouble finding revenue for the company. In fact, it hasn't generated revenue in Varic now since 2017. Uh, its market cap is about 
a billion and a half. Now, assuming they do procure a, uh, a viable drug that's FDA approved, now we're going all the way out to next uh, June, about nine months from now, when they're actually going to uh, complete their study. Uh, assuming that's the case, you know, maybe right now it's still trading at a discount relative to assum assumptions of about a billion dollars in, in total sales uh, compounded annually going forward past ju uh, June of 2022. Again, under the assumptions they get approval. Right now they're burning about $130 million in cash on an annualized basis. Uh, and they have about uh, uh, about 160 million in cash on the book. So they've got about one, one year's worth of cash. Again, uh, assuming phase three trials become positive coming up in June of 2022, uh, they don't necessarily need the working capital, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the company does take advantage of this uh, price action to issue a secondary for, of course, R&D expenses and so forth going forward. Okay. So it still is in a phase where there's a lot of things that have to fall into place you know, before this is a treatment right. that people are using and taking. But the bull case is that the addressable market is big, as you mentioned, a million Americans a year. And now that uh, they might have more of an early mover and single mover advantage with a competitor, uh, you know, having a setback, uh, investors clearly like that. All right. George, you got another uh, biotech play on your mind today. Chimera. Therapeutics, K-Y-M-R, Chimera spelled, K-Y-M-E-R-A, different than uh, the traditional spelling of the Chimera beast. Yeah, I did notice that, OJ. Good, good call on that <laughs> one. Uh, but the stock is uh, is actually- I have my moments, George. In the last year, it's about 100, 114%. Yeah, you're always aware of all, all things. Uh, it's a Mission Impossible 2 reference, uh, actually. It's uh, Ethan Hunt was trying to get back the Chimera uh, uh, drug. Right, anyway, go ahead. I'm not a movie guy, so those those things go over my head, my friend. Uh, but look, uh, the company Chimera, basically the focal point for this business and this company, which again is a therapeutics-based uh, companies, is they, they actually are investigating medicines that, uh, that deal with uh, targeting proteins that help, of course, uh, degrade and, uh, and target genetic illnesses, things like cancers and immuno... Uh, immuno, uh, I'm sorry, autoimmune diseases and so forth. So what it is, is basically a drug that helps, of course, reprogram uh, genes to actually fight off on their own some, uh, some potential genetic diseases that uh, can be discovered uh, through, through therapies. Uh, interesting kinds of technologies that are going on in oncology. It's way over my head in terms of the complexity, of course. But uh, basically, we know that DNA targeting and genomic targeting is becoming sort of a secular trend when it comes to dealing with illnesses, uh, even genomic editing. We actually talked about some of these companies in the past year or so, which is a very, very complex and very unique technology we may see uh, going forward to actually cure diseases. Here we're dealing with companies with Chimera that are looking to target genes that, of course, uh, help uh, prevent illnesses. So the catalyst today for the stock of Bank of America uh, actually upgraded the stock to a buy with a $80 price target. And one of the things I discovered about Chimera is uh, interesting enough is, and when we talk about biotech companies, one of the things we look for is partnerships. Uh, we have three major partners here with Chimera that include Glaxo, SmithKline, Vertex Farm, and Sanofi. And this uh, partnership and collaboration that Chimera has with these three companies are worth about $3 billion, uh, which is about equivalent to the market cap, about $3.5 billion. But I think there are some uh, some pretty primary catalysts to consider. Is one that Chimera has a, a leading platform. Uh, two, it has uh, enabled partnerships with uh, with Deep Pockets, 
and it's actually one of the uh, the leading second generation platforms to deal with, uh, of course, protein degradation therapies mm. uh, in, in in its market. So, uh, respectively speaking, it's a leader in its its market. It's actually leading over the last year, uh, and not to mention, it is generating revenue through, of course, licensing agreements with its partners. It doesn't have any debt, uh, and it has about uh, three years worth of cash to, uh, of course, hold the company up, uh, which is which is again burning through about. 120 million of cash a year. It's got about 360 million cash in the book, so it's well funded and well capitalized, mm. no debt. So I think that also serves to to provide some sense of security for uh, for companies uh, like Chimera, which are in the biotech space, which are again very volatile volatile stocks. But those partnerships do mean a lot uh, for these smaller companies. Interesting. I mean, it clearly is ahead of some of the uh, you know relative uh, uh, peers in the group. That chart we saw there. And, uh, you know, when you're small and up and coming and you're getting uh, funding from those big companies, a huge deal uh, for the stock uh, showing up. Uh, George, uh, by the way, uh, because this is Greek mythology, Chimera, I guess maybe the K, the, the Chimera with the KY actually is kind of what looks like, uh, uh, you know, old Greek lettering, the K, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it, it actually... You're somewhat of an expert on this subject as well. In, in <laughs> yeah, when you would spell it in, in the sense using using the English alphabet, it would. Yes, OJ. Okay. All right, George. So, sorry, it's a, it's a late Friday. I'm a little tired. My color commentary is not quite as, as good today. All right, All right George, you got one more for us. Not a biotech stock, right? You're looking a little bit more industrial? Yeah. Yeah, industrial. Uh, Rexnord, I've never heard of this company until today, OJ. And uh, it's actually been a remarkable performer of over 100% in the last year. But uh, basically, there's a, there's a few catalysts uh, that I found with this company. It's uh, primarily an industrial company that, uh, that has what are called process motion control technologies, which essentially are, uh, are complex, uh, uh, complex parts that go into to complex machines for things like food and beverage equipment, aerospace, mining, uh, energy and power generation. But uh, they also have a wastewater management platform and this is really the catalyst i think for the company now today there was some actual news associated with uh, rexnord it wasn't earnings earnings actually from the company uh, i went and looked because sometimes these analysts come a day or two after earnings and upgrade but earnings was out for rexnord back in, in july uh, on july 20th so it's been a little while since they've had earnings it wasn't that's not the catalyst but uh, goldman upgraded the stock of 74 from 60. look two days ago KeyBank actually upgraded the stock to 72 from 60. Uh, and I think the catalyst here is is really uh, it's becoming an ESG play on wastewater management. And the other thing that I discovered is that uh, Rexnord is actually getting closer and closer to spinning off that uh, process and motion control portion of their business, which means they'll be fo focusing primarily as an independent company on wastewater management. And so why is this mm. a, a good thing and why I think these analysts are uh, are upgrading the stock? It has to do with the fact that spinning off this uh, motion control uh, parts and products business actually exposes uh, the separate company to higher uh, industry group EBITDA margins. The EBITDA margins for the total combined company uh, for its both at wastewater and other industrial units is about 11%, whereas the industry EBITDA margins are about 20%. And that has to do with the fact that this is a uh, wastewater management compared to peers, let's say like Xylem or Pentair or even A.O. Smith, is very fragmented and so you have to think about you know uh, industrial or commercial buildings 
ESG mandates. They're very favorable with tax credits. Mm. It's a very uh, companies, of course, like Rexnor, which would provide uh, waste management infrastructure and plumbing infrastructure to commercial buildings. These uh, commercial uh, uh, builders are using, of course, uh, infrastructure tax credits to deploy services and equipment from companies like Rexnord. And so I think what's happening here is there are there are tax credit catalysts, infrastructure uh, build catalysts, but also that spinoff sort of expands the ability for the wastewater company in and of itself to be uh, to, to, to be priced higher relative to the industry group wastewater EBITDA margins of about 20% versus the current combined company margins, which are around 12%. George, great details and a really interesting sector that there's four companies yeah. tied into this same secular theme nobody's talking about. I mean, you get some of it a little bit, right. but most of the kind of renewable ESG uh, necessities on the industrial side, oftentimes we're talking like uh, batteries and green energy type stuff. Uh, so this is a little bit of a different uh, part of that same theme, but one yeah, really in a list so. of companies that uh, just you don't really hear a lot about, you're right. So uh, nice job putting them on our uh, watch list. Thank you, George Tillis.